really excited for today. Uh, partially because I, I missed gathering last week. I missed this gathering last week, but um, also because we're launching into a new series today, which is really, really exciting. Today, we're actually taking a really important step in the life of our church. We're walking into the waters of community, or what we call at River and Way House Church, gathering in small communities all over the city. Over the next nine teachings, we're going to explore the call of followers of Jesus to live in community together, And for us at River and Way to deeply understand what I believe is the most needed expression of church life at this point in history, at this time in culture, that we would live in small intentional gatherings of people where we can like really be known, where we can really belong and really be seen. And there are a couple reasons why we've decided to land here at this moment. The first is that who River and Way is, or who River and Way has always sought to be, is, a, is a, like a gathering, a, a, a church of small communities. Our vision from the very beginning was not about a Sunday morning program, but about deep, interconnected people doing life together. That's always been our heart, desire, and vision. We are spending this intentional time here to make sure we get like the emphasis on the right syllable, if you're with me. So this is by no means like a new piece of vision that we're adding to the puzzle, but this is time to lean into the piece of vision that we've always carried within our hearts for this church. Uh, there's a book by a man named Joe Thorne, and it's called The Life of the Church, The Table, The Pulpit, and The Square, where he's speaking about like the corporate gathering, a small gathering, and living missionally. But he, 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 the back of his cover says this. I don't know if he came up with it or his editor. I don't know how book covers work. Someone smarter than me probably does. But this is what the back of the cover says. It says, if you want to know what your church values, look at their calendar. If you want to know what your church values, look at their calendar. And over the course of 18, 19 months, however long we've existed as River and Way, we've tried to bake in some community pieces to the DNA of the way that we gather. It's where songs and stories of gathering around the table with good food, that's where that comes from a vision for house church. It's where Sunday serve was largely built into the calendar that you might taste what it's like to serve with others in a small group of people. It's where at Advent last year, we paused Sunday gatherings and pushed into homes that you might have a community experience within this body. This has all been like communal activity that we've intentionally baked into the rhythm and practice of River and Way. But ultimately, the goal of this teaching series, the the practice of community, the goal of this teaching series is really two-part. It's that we catch vision of the church as an interconnected community doing life together. And the second part is that a Jesus-loving community becomes the means for transformation in your life. That a Jesus-loving community becomes the means for transformation in your life. One of the key marks of River and Way life moving forward is living together in small, intimate, known communities of people who follow Jesus together. And this teaching series will hopefully begin to prepare, not fully prepare, hear my words clearly, will begin to prepare us to launch into community. Because while we spend nine teachings on this, living in community is actually like a lifetime work. It is not a box you check. It is not something you thoroughly understand. It is a journey you go on toward Jesus together. And so that's like part one in essence, that like we would would lean into doing life together as we follow Jesus. And part two is like we really believe that, that the way of discipleship at River and Way, the pathway of discipleship is about us living in a place where we can intimately be known with others. This is how we believe, like this is community is a key ingredient to people actually being transformed, to people's lives actually changing, to people becoming more and more like Jesus, to you and me becoming more like Jesus. And if I could be honest just for a second, this moment, like my heart has been aching for 
not just to launch communities as a part of River and Way, but like my heart has been aching to live in community again. I, like you, likely need to be, like we need to be deeply known in a way that cannot fully happen here at our Sunday morning gathering because we do not have the time, like our five minutes is a part of it, but like we would need hours of spending time together for us to like really know one another, to, to trust another, to take our mask off with one another. And it's not because like Sunday morning is evil, but just because it's limited. Because of Sunday morning's limitation, our transformation to the way of Jesus and how we actually live can only happen so much here. That's just a part of the built-in limitation of Sunday. That doesn't mean transformation doesn't happen here, it just cannot fully happen here. Are you with me, like conceptually? I hope so. But for today's talk, even though I've started, I want to start with a question. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? We say our aim at River and Way is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things Jesus did. This is language coined by John Mark Comer, who's connected to our family of churches. But what does that really mean? It means that we wanna become a church community that desires to be fully present to God in everything we do. That we want to become a church community that grows in the character, the value system, the worldview of Jesus. And that most simply, we want to do the things Jesus did. That one we can like wrap our minds around a little bit. We wanna pursue righteousness and justice. We wanna speak truth to power when necessary and mercy over the marginalized. But then we get to the next question, which is like, how do we actually do that? Those are great ideas, great, great concepts. How do we actually do that? How do we learn to be present to God? How do we actually become more like Jesus? How do we actually change our life and the behaviors of our life day to day? But before we start to wade into those questions, we must first figure out where we want to go. A couple, a couple weeks ago, we had a launch team meeting. There's a group of people who care for the life of River and Way. And my friend Jim said at our launch team meeting, we need to know where we're going to figure out how we're going to get there, or something like that. Is that fair? Is that a good summary? Paraphrase, not translation, so. Um, but that's a part of, of this talk. That's a part of this series. Because I think while these concepts, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do the things Jesus did, some of them are pretty tangible. Other ones can be a bit more ethereal or distant or theoretical. Some of them are more concrete and some of them a bit less concrete, which less concrete doesn't make them bad. It just makes them not concrete. Like grass isn't concrete. Grass is not bad, but you're supposed to stop watering your grass, so maybe it is bad right now. Your grass is oddly enough supposed to feel like concrete. I don't know. So um, we want to just begin to lean in and catch vision for what Jesus is doing in this community through the practice of community. That's, that's our heart, that's where we're going today, that's where we're going through this, the practice of community series. Uh, Jordan read this scripture for us. If you have a Bible, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, and we're gonna spend some time looking at verses 34 through 40 again. While you're turning, uh, you should know my wife and I both teach at this school called Legacy Christian Academy. We're there a couple days a week. Um, and we were going over, because it's a new school year, we're going over classroom procedures. And one of my life's, my wife's classroom rules is built out of this reoccurring problem for teachers. If you're a teacher and you buy a pack of 40 pencils, within a few days, all your pencils will be gone. That's just what happens in the classroom. So my wife built in this rule that if you borrow a pencil from her, you have to take off one of your shoes and you have to leave a shoe to in turn that, that she gets her pencil back 
But this week, as she was going over that procedure that she's had in place for many years, she had a single student challenge her theory of borrowing pencils. And he raised his hand after she explained it and said, but Mrs. Othart, if there was a fire, wouldn't it be considered a safety hazard for me to only have one shoe? Now that student, bless his heart, um, is not trying to learn or understand that. Student is like inserting like a gotcha moment into her classroom procedures. Are you with me? Like he's not, he's not, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I'll ask him later. I don't think he's really concerned about the fire and the safety hazard. I think he's trying to get my wife a bit. And it's like that is what's happening in Matthew 22. The Sadducees in the story before and the Pharisees in this story, they're, they're asking Jesus questions, but they're not trying to learn. They call him rabbi, but they are not sitting under him like he is a teacher. They're trying to trap him a bit. They're trying to get at him a bit. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that's the story just before, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, the trap is set the goal isn't to learn, but to put Jesus in a position where he can't win. And Jesus evades as like a master swordsman. He quotes the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he, he says the second is like it. Like Jesus answers the question, but then keeps going, which almost makes it a non-answer or a, a different sort of answer than what anyone would have expected. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, and then adds that all of the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. So it seems like Jesus is saying like one A and one B, and they cannot be pulled apart. They have to belong together. Love God and love neighbor. Jesus here makes it clear, in my opinion, that all of the law, all of the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament hangs on this reality. The goal is to get to loving God and loving neighbor. So I wanna ask in your life, how is loving God and loving neighbor going as a goal? You, like me, probably carry a litmus of goals. Litmus isn't the right word, a like list of goals. You probably carry lots of things and not all of those are bad, but I think sometimes it would do us well to remind us that when, when Jesus is asked about the things we should be concerned of in life, he simplifies it down to these two things, to loving God and loving neighbor. But the question that I posed earlier still remains, how do we go about doing that? How do we become what I would call people of love? Is that if that's the goal of, of the Christian life, if that's our aim, if that's our focus to love God and love people, it might just be best to simplify like Christian maturation looks like becoming a person marked by love. And it's important that we distinguish that when we say love, what we mean is not is not what culture currently says, where like love means to affirm someone's opinions, thoughts, and beliefs is everything. L love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, like loves truth. It is bound with truth. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But so we have this command from Jesus, these two commandments bound up in one, and then we have this other thing that we talk about a lot here in church, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So if you look at these three pieces, you have love God, love neighbor, and make disciples. Love God, love neighbor, and make disciples. And that word disciple is tricky because it's a bit of a dead word in culture. We usually don't like go to coffee with friends far from God and talk about what they're discipling. 
Most fundamentally, the root word of disciple is translated learner, but that's a little bit of a problem for us in the West because we're so cognitive oriented. It's more of a like thinking word or philosophical word in the West, which that belongs, of course, but the word apprentice really captures the heart of discipleship because discipling your rabbi then is not just about learning the right things, but about doing the right things. These belong together and they can't be pulled apart. Think about like an apprenticeship with an electrician. The goal is not that you read enough books to learn how to wire a house. Reading is an important part of that, but you also practice wiring the house with a coach or mentor as you apprentice in the the skill or the role or the trade of that. And that is the invitation when when Jesus is instructing us to be a disciple and to make disciples. Think, Think of it like that. Like my life is supposed to be modeled after the person of Jesus. So if we pull these major themes from the New Testament and hone in on them, it seems like Jesus is inviting us to become a person of love and an apprentice and apprentice maker. And these things, again, they are knit together, they are not pulled apart. 1 John 4 tells us that we are to love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And oddly enough, the inverse is also true. If you do not, the scriptures say, if you do not love your neighbor, you do not love God. So I just wanna like summarize briefly. It is not like apprenticing after Jesus over here and becoming a person of love over here, the the two, apprenticing after Jesus and becoming a person of love are one thing. Becoming a person who loves God and loves neighbor is apprenticing after Jesus. This is what it really means to be a disciple. This is what it means to make disciples. It means that we like soberly choose the preference and exaltation of others as defined by Jesus and his kingdom. Dallas Willard says it this way, love is not a desire. It is the will, it is to will the good of others. We say I love chocolate cake, but really we want to eat it. We love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. So then again, how do we disciple or apprentice after Jesus, who is the embodiment of love? In my early years of following Jesus, in a desire to love God, I was told lots of things that would demonstrate my love for God. If I'm honest, I was given lots of do's and don'ts in my early church years um, that maybe the 15-year-old version of myself needed when I first encountered Jesus. Maybe I needed like rules and guidelines. I, I don't know, and if I'm honest, like I'm still trying to reconcile some of that reality in my own heart. But I was given this like list of tasks that would demonstrate my love for God. <sighs> But what the do's and don'ts resulted inside of me in my heart was not a love for God, but a love for an appearance of loving God. Something that if I'm honest, like I still wrestle with to this day, this deep root of like at my core, do what I most love, like what I most love is it the person of Jesus, is it communion with him, is it relationship with God, is it abiding in the vine, is it that? It's, it's the thing that the Holy Spirit continues to convict me of to this day, that sometimes, like deep down in my heart, I almost want Jesus more for other people than I do for myself. Because I think Jesus is a really good solution I think he's worthy of your love, but my heart, I don't allow it often enough to be bound up in the presence of God, to be bound up in love for who God is, to sit and soak. Like remember if you've ever soaked in his presence what that feels like to be saturated with the presence of God. And the great invitation of following Jesus to love God does not start with works or behavior, but but starts with the heart. 
The right healthy flow of maturation in the Christian life and and service should flow from love and worship and presence with God into service. Not of God, but service with God. Shout out to Sam and Cindy Chow's favorite book, With by Sky Jathani. Thumbs up, Sam, favorite book? Ish, you have to say yes, you're on the spot. If you don't have a copy, uh, ask Sam and he will buy you one after the gathering. I'm just kidding, kind of. (laughs) You might. But it's important that we, as we orient ourselves even toward community, like keep in mind that's still where we're going. Where we have to begin is love for God. We have to reframe and recalibrate our hearts and our minds and our lives to see like love and adoration of Jesus as the place from which all things flow. Or as the scriptures say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, paints a different sort of picture than what I experienced when I was a kid. He says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. Or Thomas Aquinas, the Catholic theologian and friar, which is really fun to say, would say, the things that we love tell us who we are. The things that we love tell us who we are. I think it's important that as we looked at those three elements, loving God, loving neighbor, and the Great Commission, that that we reorient our heart to Jesus as love for God. But often when it comes to loving others, at least again in my experience, we, we catch a church culture that tells us our call to love neighbor is to exalt the people inside of the walls of the church and ensure that those people are our priority and are cared for. And that belongs, of course, but what ends up coming is like a bunch of saints caring for themselves. And that is not all bad, but it is not all good either. And we don't have time to get into it, but remember, just for a second, Jesus defines loving your neighbor as the Samaritan man who passes by to help the man bleeding that's not like him on the side of the road. For Jesus, loving others is central to the idea of loving God that you must love your neighbor, and of course that is extended to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll spend a little bit more time next week on like what does it look like to be a part of the family of God, the family of this church, the family of River and Way. 1 John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And again, this is familial language, so it's different than neighbor language, but it's important to see how weighty the call to love actually is. The author of John calls you a liar. And then lastly, we, like, we desire to embody the Great Commission to spend our lives making disciples. And this often has looked like a lot of different things, looked like short-term care projects, looked like service projects in the city, looked like missions trips, looked like evangelism outreach, big tent revivals, sign holding on the corner of the Santa Monica Pier, all of it. I wanna be careful here because a lot of those things I really believe like they do belong. And by no means has River and Way come to like come up with the silver bullet of discipleship or life transformation or being on mission. But what we do see is the deep need that to fulfill those things, we have to return to the idea of living life together in community. We can no longer have superficial lives and grow as we love God, love neighbor, and live on mission together. Like Sunday morning superficiality will not be enough. And this is not new, it's ancient. The future of River and Way is not about discovering a lot of new ways to do new things, but more a return to the ancient ways of following Jesus, living with intentionality in a modern world. But remember, the invitation 
is for people, for you and me to follow Jesus, to apprentice after Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, of course, but to continue to say yes to Jesus. To say yes with every aspect of your life, to be with him, to learn to be with him, to say yes to learning to be with him, to become like him, to shave, like shape or reshape your worldview and character and convictions around the things that Jesus cares about and to do the things he did, to become a person of love for God and those around you. And I would just suggest really briefly, that doesn't, that work, that desire does not originate within us, but originates within God himself. And it was like that desire for relational community that we carry starts with God and is shared with us as we are made in his image. There is a reality that we are built for relationships, we are built for community, we are built for belonging. And that starts with God, that starts with the Trinity, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But that thing inside of you that craves relationship, craves to be known, like really known. It's the reason, like that, that comes from God, and it's the reason that like, just for a second, like if, if there's ever a relationship close to you, like a relationship that has meaning to you and that relationship is off kilter, it's the reason why like our whole day or week or month is off kilter because relationships are core to who we are. Or it's the reason that like when things go well in life, we call someone to go celebrate. I don't like have a really great day and then go like, I'm gonna go be by myself and celebrate. That's just not, not the way of our relational core, not the way of being made in God's image. Or the inverse is true. When things go bad in life, you call someone. You talk to someone. Because your heart and your life was designed for relationships. Designed to live in deep love and communion with God and, both and, we are a both and church, God and others. Author Tim Keller says it this way, to be loved but not known, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and to be truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. And while it's important to understand the deep need and desire for community that exists within all of us, what may be more important is that Christ gives us like good reason for that. That that longing would not just exist but point us to like Christ-shaped community. And not even to community as an end in and of itself but community as a, as a way of transformation in our lives that we might become more like the person of Jesus. You might become more like the person God created you to be. I wanna ask a question, have you ever prayed for patience? The old saying goes that when you pray for patience, God doesn't magically give you patience, but gives you an opportunity for you to grow in patience. When God invites you to become a person of love, he does not magically make you more loving. He gives you an opportunity to become a person who gets to practice love, to grow in love for one another and grow in love for your neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love passage. We all know this, often gets read at weddings or quoted at weddings, but 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage at all. 1 Corinthians is a letter to the Corinthian church, a group of people following the way of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 13 is preceded by spiritual gifts being used in the gathering of God's people. And then 1 Corinthians 14 is about like order within the gathering of God's people. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is not for marriage, but it's for you and it's for me. It's for the church, it's for God's people, it's for our relationships with one another. It's for you and me right here and right now. This is what it says, it'll be on the screen. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor one another, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. This is the call of the church. This is the call, the invitation, the ideal for you and for me. And this is not something we master. Like I said, this is a lifelong journey of becoming. This is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more a person of love. How often, I want you to think for just a second, how often in the scriptures do you hear of like Jesus and Peter, just them two? It's actually very rare. What you hear often is Peter, or Jesus, Peter, James, and John. You hear a community. You hear a group of people. When Jesus invites people to follow him in the gospels, they are joining a community. Where we are going as a church is to lean into this reality, lean in to the reality of doing life together. That we would like practice living into loving God and loving our neighbor and being on mission together. As we commit our lives to each other as we follow Jesus together. And one of the beautiful things about this like level and depth of commitment, this idea of living together as a family, like a family, like God's family who follows Jesus together, is what begins to happen is the deeper parts of who we are begin to come to the surface. The parts that don't make its way to the surface on Sunday morning, those things over time in commitment and faithfulness to one another, they begin to come to the surface, they come to the top. The ancients call this the shadow side or the false self. And we all, every single one of us, we all have some of that inside of us. We have this like hidden version of ourselves. And this is where discipleship breaks down on just Sunday mornings. Because the reality is like you and I, we have enough relationship that I will give you a dose of honesty about my life. But we do not have enough commitment, nor relationship, nor time together that I could allow the fullness, that I would even trust the fullness of my shadow side to come out. To name the most broken parts of who I am. And how is Jesus ever gonna transform those things if I can't even name them in the place that's supposed to be safe? But those are the parts of me, like those are the things that really need transformation. They really need to come under the way and the reign and the rule of Jesus and have not yet. The parts of me that either I inherited or I chose, but they need to be reparented by God. We have to learn again how to live well under the rule of Jesus. Recently, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And while his diagnosis is a lot better than many people who hear the word cancer come out of a doctor's mouth, when that word hits your family for the first time, it does all sorts of things inside of you. And for some context, my family of origin, my parents and my, my sibling, the nuclear family I come from, we don't do like, we don't do emotions super well. It's not a strength of ours. It's a growth opportunity as Chevron would say. So we don't do emotions really well, and I'm cognizant of this. I've been doing some like work on myself to try to be more healthy as a person, as a son, as a sibling, all those things. And so when this diagnosis hit our family, that day I spoke with everyone in our family. Every single family member, there's only three. But I solicited out what they were thinking and how they felt. I made them use emotion words. I made them describe to me the different emotions they had experienced. I even gave one a list of words and made them choose which word they most identified with. And then I got off the phone and Jackie, my wife, sitting next to me the entire time, processing this news, looked over at me and said, that's really great that you made all of them tell you how they feel but they might be a little more inclined to tell you how they feel if you gave them an ounce of how you feel. In my desire to work toward health in my family, I controlled the situation just enough to where I didn't have to use emotion words. I didn't have to tell anybody how I felt. I elicited emotion, feelings, like the pain of this suffering out of everyone, but my wife, she went and she took my shadow side and she laid it right in front of me. 
And yes, she is my wife, as unique. But I would also say that anyone who I like really do life with, they know this about me. They know I shut off feeling things. They know that like emotion for me is hard to access, hard to get to. And what, what happens in community is that these things become known and the, the people I'm following Jesus with begin to lean into me in these spaces and cause me to grow in the areas that I've been avoiding my entire life. This is how community becomes a mechanism of discipleship. This is how we grow in becoming a person of love. This is why to follow Jesus we must, hear me, we must do it together. In the beautiful book about community called Life Together by author Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, Christian community is like the Christian's sanctification. What he means by this is kind of what I've been like trying to say that Christian community is not only an option, it is the way we experience transformation of our lives and our hearts. Community is an integral ingredient to how we become more like Jesus. So the question that I'm left with is like, do we really want to change? Do you really want to become a person of love? Do you really want to be transformed to be more like Christ? Do you really want to apprentice after Jesus? Do you really want to be his disciple? And there is a lot to learn still about the practice of community that is central to the way of Jesus and we will jump into that. But the reality is like we never stop practicing relationships and community for the rest of our lives. So we can lean into those things as Christ's family together to learn how to follow Jesus well, to, to lean into community that we might be formed in the way of Jesus but it's gonna take a deeper type of commitment to one another. It's gonna take like a robust call for you to live life with others, to get to a place of depth that cannot be accessed, and if I'm just frank, will not be accessed anywhere else in your life. The soccer club you're a part of is not gonna suddenly decide we should get together once a month and like break bread and confess sins. It's just not gonna happen. So like we have these smatterings of communities that we're like connected to, but every single one of them lack depth. And so the invitation of this series is to like venture toward the depth. And for some of you, you're like, yes. And for some of you, you're like, that's terrifying. And both are true. It should be a great resound to the like ache in our heart. And it can be terrifying in particular if you've been harmed in a community like this before. It's important though to realize that like even with relational hurt, and this is so what's, like, what's so beautiful about, about what psychology and sociology can discover, even if you've been wounded relationally before, do you know the only way to heal from those wounds is more relationships? It's to like find a place of faithful commitment and love together you don't get wounded by a relationship and then go off in the world and everything just becomes okay. Like it, it takes someone showing up faithfully and saying yes to love and hard conversation and conflict. It takes all of those things to grow, to heal, to reconcile, to be renewed, to trust again. You see, this is about a long journey with others with vulnerability, to become the person who I believe God really created you to be, and this is over a lifetime, not a teaching series. Ephesians 4.15 says, in speaking about not deceiving one another in the body of Christ, that's what Ephesians 4 generally is talking about, do not deceive one another in the body of Christ, that section anyways. It says, speak the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Or said this way, by speaking the truth in love, you and me will become in every way the mature embodiment of Jesus. Or even better, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, we take our cues from Christ who keeps us in step with each other. 
His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we, like we, us together, we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. That we will grow to the mature body of Christ. And I do not mean local church. I mean Sunday morning. I do not mean Sunday morning gatherings. I mean the practical, functional, missional living of people that you follow Jesus with. Or said maybe even a bit sharper, do you really want to grow in maturity? Or do you want to stay exactly where you are? This is one of the great questions that community beckons. Do you really want to grow in maturity? Or do you want to stay exactly where you are? I want to leave you, even though I'm not done yet, I want to leave you with this quote as, uh, from Ronald Rollheiser. As Jesus defines it, discipleship demands involvement with a concrete community of faith. Christian discipleship is not something we do alone. We're asked to journey to God with each other as a part of an ecclesial community, as a part of a church. As the first epistle of John puts it, the one who claims to love God whom he cannot see and does not love a neighbor whom he can see is a liar. Hence, and catch this please, hence a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. A Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. If you'd think back just for a second to that Matthew 22 passage, Jesus does not intentionally pull apart loving God and loving neighbor. He keeps them together. It would be easier, confession, it would be easier if he didn't. It would be easier if Rollheiser's last line of a Christian spirituality being as much about dealing with each other as about dealing with God, it would be easier if that were not true. But according to Jesus, it is. And we have a tendency, it may even be like a protective desire to keep the God stuff with God and the people stuff with people. And the Jesus we make up in our mind may be okay with that, but the Jesus of the gospels of the scriptures, he's not okay with it. He is not okay with you separating loving God from loving people. And becoming a person who loves God and who loves people, those two things, then it cannot happen on your own. It happens, it has to happen. It is designed to happen in community. It is designed to happen with others. The New Testament is filled with like more than 100, one another, how we treat one another passages. 59 of those are specifically commands for following the way of Jesus. 59 of those say if you're following the way of Jesus, this is directly how you should treat one another. Jesus has lots of thoughts and opinions on community life. And the invitation from River and Way in this season, in this moment, is to like begin to allow that seed from the scriptures and from Jesus to take like root in the soil of your heart. Next week, we're gonna explore the idea of the church being a family that the people of God are a family. So please don't miss that as we continue to dive into what God is building here, what God is doing here, because your very presence, in my opinion, means that like there is an invitation in front of you to participate in community life as a part of the inbreaking kingdom of God in the city of Bakersfield. And that extends to your invitation to grow in love with God, for God and others. As a part of you maturing into the mind of Christ and soberly choosing to love people, like really, 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 like 1 Corinthians 13 love, love people around you. And the reality is that you should just know, like if you're gonna participate in the life of this local church, River and Way, that like this is where we're going and this is who we are. We are a community committed to living life together in this way. That you would catch vision from Jesus for community, for your flourishing and maturation as we exalt the name of Jesus. 
But with saying yes to leaning into communal life together, I'm almost done, so try and stay with me. By saying yes to leaning into communal life together, we must recognize that like your problems are not going to magically go away. Your life will not automatically become more simple. Your budget won't start to magically balance and everything will not just become roses and daisies. Community is hard and we'll get to that. But the reality is that you could say yes to community, say yes to house church, what we call our communities, and you could still miss the person in the way of Jesus. The great hope of River and Way is not house church. The great hope of River and Way is King Jesus. And according to church history, to the saints that went before us, to the Jewish people of the Old Testament, the apostles of the new, and most importantly, Jesus himself, we must relearn that we do not follow Jesus by ourselves, but in community with one another. Our hope, your and my hope, is Jesus. And an integral part of following Jesus is expressed through loving one another, through following him together, through maturing into one mind is what Ephesians says. Bonhoeffer in Life Together has this great rant about human love and supernatural love. And to summarize it, he is ultimately saying Christian community is not about how much you can choose to love a person, what he calls human love, but is ultimately found in you growing in love for Christ and then choosing to love and serve that person. Ultimately, we live in community together because we love and we serve Jesus. Community life, at the end of the day, is not about even you growing in Christ-likeness. It is about you loving, coming under the rule and reign of Jesus. The end is not that I become the best version of myself. It is that the name and the way of Jesus is exalted. That is our heart, that is our desire, that is the thing we are after. Not just practices for the sake of doing more things, but we're after growing in Christ-likeness. We're after glorifying the person of Jesus, making him known and inviting others to share in kingdom life here in Bakersfield as we follow him together. Because that is where we experience, encounter, long committed love known intimate love is this place of community you want you want to taste you want to taste what tim keller talked about being fully known and fully loved it's not going to happen in a superficial sense it has to be deep long committed life journey love and that is hard and nothing worth pursuing isn't as we close, I want to say that Jesus' love for you, I want to remind you, Jesus' love for you has won your heart, has won your affection, has won your and my life. And that today God may be stirring some new ideas, new thoughts, new ways of living moving forward. And my invitation to you is not just to take my word for it, but to search the scriptures and to even like explore Jesus practicing life within community and see that most often, Almost never in the scriptures are, like G, are, are people like going after the kingdom of God on their own. You can't like, the way the kingdom seems to be designed is it's not something you do by yourself. Most often, there's exceptions. But as we are confronted with some of these realities about life and community, I encourage you, may you first not see the obstacles. There are plenty like plenty, we all, like, and we all have our own obstacles. But may you first not see the obstacle, but you, like, may you first see the person of Jesus again. May you see him, the person who won your heart. Because I actually really don't believe that my job is to convince you to be in community. I believe that this is what following Jesus looks like I believe that like this is what growing up and maturation in the body of Christ ought to look like. But that is ultimately not a question between you and me, but between you and Jesus. I think that this is, is what the future, for this generation, for this moment in history, I think this is what the future of following Jesus becomes. Living well in community together. And this should disrupt us, and it should confront us, 
and it should raise all sorts of like yellow flags. I hope they're not red, but yellow flags in your heart. But again, before you're confronted with those things, may you be confronted with the presence of God and the goodness of God and his love for you and his kingship and his lordship and his goodness, the fact that he's faithful and he's never failed, the fact that God's presence dwells within you as you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we don't run a race for no reason or box for no purpose. We run because our eyes are fixed on Jesus and this is the race set before us that we may fix our eyes on the person of Jesus again this morning and that we don't just choose community because it seems like a good idea, but may we be transformed by the presence and the power of God that we become people who see Christ's vision for his church, Christ's vision for community as a way of life, as a way of following Jesus, as the thing that changes us from the inside out, not for just our benefit, but for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, just come to you now. And even as we close, um, I pray, like God, I would ask, like would you confront uh, us again? Would you even like push away the obstacles or the questions and may we encounter the person of Jesus again, the one who won our hearts, the one who like loves us and beckons us and desires more for us and, and has plans for us. Would you come, Jesus? And as we weigh these questions, as we weigh who you're inviting us to be and to become, may we not become like overburdened by the reasons not to, but may we become like deeply convicted of who you are and what you are doing and what you are inviting us to. And it is like you, it is there, it is in your way of life that we have like our, our deepest fulfillment, yes, but also like our greatest hope. And so would you stir in our hearts to worship you, to serve you, to lay our life down for you as we exalt you in everything we do. We love you, Jesus, thank you for your love. Come Holy Spirit and just like stir up our hearts to worship. You are worthy to be praised. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While Brandon plays this next song, you're released uh, throughout this song to grab the elements of communion and then as the body of Christ, we will take them together.